Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. Glad you've tuned in to listen. Before we jump into our study for today, I want to talk to you about some things upcoming this week. On the 1st of August, which will be Tuesday, the podcast is going to be on John 6, 44, which says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up that last day. We're going to talk about what does that mean. So if you want to tune in Tuesday, that's what we're going to talk about. On Thursday, the first Thursday of the month, as you know, we have been running uh, a guest in the first Thursday of each month. Uh, This month is going to be my youngest son, Trey Yeager. And we're going to be talking about the challenges that come with finding a wife in this current generation. I think you'll find it to be interesting, and I hope you will tune back in to listen. What we're going to talk about today is don't think others should be just like you. Why? Why are we going to talk about this? Well, in John 7, 24, Jesus says, Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. People have a difficult time with being righteous judges because they have their own concepts, their own mindsets towards certain types of things. And one of those great, big, huge problems that I have seen countless times in the time that I've been teaching the gospel of Christ is that people think that they themselves are the standard that others ought to think and act and do just like they think and act and do. We want to talk about the problems with that in our study today. Now, I want to jump right into getting about what we're not talking about. We are not saying that there ought to be some sort of doctrinal unity and diversity regarding the one faith. That is totally false. That is not the conclusion I'm trying to get you to reach. Philippians 3.16, Paul says, Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Even when you're talking about different congregations, if my brothers and sisters in Christ, any one of us here in El Paso, were to drive all the way across uh, to Maryland or Pennsylvania or somewhere else, Kansas, or if we were to get on a, a boat or an airplane and go all the way to the continent of Africa and find faithful Christians to worship with, the same things need to be taught there that are taught here. In 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul tells the Corinthians, For this cause have I sent in you Timotheus, who is my beloved son, and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So regardless of the church or the assembly location, the same doctrine is to be taught everywhere. And our Lord, along with doctrine, expects like-mindedness. In 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Paul, by inspiration, pens finally, Brethren, farewell, be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. When we see those instructions and we talk about things like we are going to talk about today, do not misunderstand. When Paul wrote the Corinthians, and in that second letter, Timothy was uh, with him as well, uh, and, and this message is given to them, 
to be perfect, to be of one mind. There is no way, shape, or form wherein anything I say in this podcast should be taken in a contrary manner to that instruction. Our behavior is always, if you are in Christ, to be worthy or as becometh the gospel. To the Philippians, Paul said, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So we are not going to be talking about anything different than that. Like-mindedness, same doctrine, even in different congregations, period. Now, to establish my point, and maybe make it clearer in, in understanding a little bit. Our Lord Jesus Christ, before he was crucified on the cross in John 17, was praying to the Father, and we have some of that recorded for us in the Scriptures. And in that prayer, in John 17, 20 through 23, Jesus says, Neither pray I for these alone, talking about the apostles. He says, But for them also which believe on me through their word that they may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may be one in us, that the world might believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou givest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one, and the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. So Jesus sets forth in his prayer a standard. That standard is unity, the same way the Father, the Son, are unified. And when we look at the scriptures, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. 1 John 5, 7 says, There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And we see other scriptures that support that, like the command to the apostles in Matthew 28, 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit. There, there is unisense. There is one. There are three individuals, but they are one. And those three individuals have unique roles. Think about 1 Corinthians 11, 3, where it says, I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So here you have the Father as headship over Christ, Christ as headship over man, and man's headship over woman but still unified and one. Why? Because there's unique roles. The Father sent the Son. In 1 John 4, 14, uh, we have seen and do testify. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So you got the Father in heaven sending Jesus the Christ into the flesh, into this fleshly world, into this physical world, to be the Savior of this world. The Father sent Him. So they did different actions, the sending and then the going about and doing, but they're still unified in that. Likewise, the Father was going to send the Spirit after Jesus ascends into heaven. Jesus is talking to the disciples in John 14, 26. He says, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So here looks at this role. The Father sending the Spirit. The Spirit's coming and reminding the disciples of all things that Jesus taught. Look at the uniqueness of each one of those roles. And that's not all there is about the work of God that shows the uniqueness of roles. We see it in creation. We see it in the work throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, many different ways. But that's just a simple way to show you. Here are three individuals that are completely unified, same rules, same doctrine, 
in agreement all the way across the board, but having different roles. The Father did not come in the flesh. The Holy Spirit did not come in the flesh. So there is uniqueness in the things that we see presented to us there. So as we go through this lesson, keep that in mind. That is the standard. That is the pattern. Now, when we look at the New Testament and we start thinking about Christians in a collective way, like the local church, and we see in a context, the context I'm going to refer to is a context in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 that's talking about spiritual gifts, and in particular, the abuses of those spiritual gifts in the congregation in the city of Corinth. But I'm going to draw from that context, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 24 through 27, where it is said, Our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which it lacked, that there should be no schism in the body. Members should have the same care one for another. Whether one member suffer all the members with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice. Now you're the body of Christ and members in particular. So even though there's differences, there, there are those who lack and those who don't. There are those that need more honor. There are those that don't. There is still supposed to be one body. So let's think about this just a little bit. When we look at the parable of the talents, Matthew uh, records, Matthew 25, 14 through 15, says, The kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered to them his goods. Unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. The talents here are money. They're, they're you know, finances. The text says, To every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. So this parable sets up an important point. There's somebody who is given five, two, and then another one, okay? Three different individuals given different sums of, of coinage with the expectations based upon their ability. That teaches us something. Whether you are a five-talent person, so to speak, or two or one, God expects you to take what has been given you and do with it what you are able to do with it. It also shows us that there are those much more capable, somewhat capable, and very little capable. And the kingdom is likened unto that. As kingdom citizens, which if you've been converted to Christ, you've been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son, Colossians 1 and verse 13. As kingdom citizens, we need to understand there may be those among our brothers and sisters in Christ that have greater ability than those that, that do not. The principle, if you were to read the whole context of 1 Corinthians 12, that displays that. Some that are less honorable, some that are more. Some that need that are weaker, that need to be given more honor than those that are stronger. Think about that for a moment in the context of our lessons. This shows uniqueness, which tells you everybody is not just like you. Now, I, I, I want to think about, I've known people over the years that think of themselves as the five-talent person. But then they turn around and judge other people with unrighteous judgment expecting that those other people be just like them. 
That tells you you're not a five-talent person, so to speak. You're lacking in the area of understanding and judgment. Think on that for a minute. Because generally, the most self-righteous, judgmental people are the ones that think they're better than everybody else and that they can do everything that others can't do. Now, let's say for a minute that you are more capable than others. Let's say that you are the most amazing brother or most amazing sister in a congregation. That if you were in the parable of the talents, the parable would have said the hundred talents were given to you because you are just so much more able than everybody else. And, and, and let's say for a moment that that's true, even though I'm exaggerating already, right? If that's true, if you are more capable than everybody else, how should you be? Should you be walking around with a shirt that says Mr. Amazing or Mrs. Amazing? Mr. Wonderful or Mrs. Wonderful? Should you be walking over to your brothers and sisters in Christ and saying, hey, hey, hold on, let me show you how to do it better. My way is the best way. Let's think about the most capable man that arguably nobody would ever doubt, right? Philippians 2, 3 through 11 says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, I'm going to keep reading here for a moment, but I just want to highlight the instruction here. You're not supposed to be a person that seeks after glory. You're to have a lowly mind. You're to look at others better than yourself. So if you're Mr. or Mrs. Super Wonderful, you're not going to actually think that of yourself. Maybe others would. But you wouldn't because you would be exalting others around you. The text goes on, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not Robert to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men." Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in the earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is the Lord, the glory of God the Father. So even though God highly exalted Jesus, what did he do? He was humbled. He humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation. That's great. So you're the hundred talent person. Then you're going to humble yourself. You're going to be the greater servant. Not the one being served, but the greater servant. I had a conversation not long ago, and I don't remember with whom, who it was, but we were talking about this type of subject matter. And I told them, here's the fact. The strongest members of the congregation 
are always going to be the ones that are conceding to others. So if you are the greater abled person, you are going to be the one that is giving to the the desires of others. Because we're all to submit to one another within the body of Christ. I believe that's Ephesians 5.21. Let me make sure here real quick. Yeah, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. But like 1 Corinthians 12 teaches in context, the stronger to the weaker. Like Philippians 2, 3 through 11 that we just saw with Jesus, particularly what I was highlighting in verse 3, to esteem other better than yourselves, you're going to be the one bowing down the lowest when you are the strongest. The elders in the church, for example, are going to, to be shepherds, yes. They're going to have authority, yes, but they are going to humble themselves. Like we talked about last week, when we look at, at the work of Jesus who came and washed the disciples' feet in John chapter 13. Think about that. Let that sink in. Should you think so highly of yourself that you all of a sudden consider yourself the example of everyone else, like you're the poster child for manhood or womanhood? And Romans 12, 3 says, I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. This isn't a man or a woman stepping back and saying, you know, you ought to be more like me. This is someone stepping back and being sober and humble. At the end of the day, folks, when we regard who we are in the flesh, whether you're the thousand talent person or the one talent person, you know what you're going to be at the end of this physical life? Dirt. Remember back in the garden in Genesis 3.19? Where God said, In the sweat of thy face shall thou eat bread till thou return to the ground, for out of it thou was taken, for dust thou art, and dust thou shalt return. So, hey, dirt ball, who do you think you are? You're wonderful. No, you're just dirt. You were and will be. So, what's up, my dirty? Huh? Why do you think so highly of yourself? Why do you think you're great? Why do you pull that little spot out on your shirt and say, Look at me, look at me. Whatever it is that you can do, remember who should be glorified in that. And 1 Peter 4, 9 through 11 says, Use hospitality one to another without grudging. And every man that hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as oracles of God. If any man minister, notice, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, hey, dirtball, you're a thousand talent person. Is God getting glorified by what you're doing? Or are you over here saying, look at what I can do? Well, why can you do it? You know, even when we think of that, just just the base points of the world, you know, you think about, I'm sitting here in my garage right now. That's why I record uh, these podcasts. And I, I'm, I'm sitting at a table. I've got my laptop here and my microphone here. And, and uh, uh, I'm looking right 
across the room, and here is my weight rack where I lift weights. Um, so let's say I put on a great amount of weight, which has gotten reduced over what it has been in, in previous years as I age and get older and have more fun with more inability than ability. And let's say somehow I all of a sudden lift some kind of amazing weight. How could I do that without oxygen? How could I do that without being able to breathe? Hmm. Just the very simplest things. Because, you know, if you've ever worked out, the higher your heart rate is, the harder you're working, the more you're sucking air. Air is how valuable. What if God just removed oxygen from the world? <laughs> Doesn't matter how strong you are, how fast you are. What would happen to you? You'd fall to your knees, dirtball. Sometimes we just got to really remember how fragile we are, no matter how strong we are. How about if you're smart? What if your, your IQ is just off the charts? Well, how well will your brain function without oxygen? Hmm. When we look at other people, because we're talking about don't think others should be just like you. So let's think about the local church. The local church is set up with many members, but different roles. Romans 12, 4 and 5, whereas we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. Every member has not the same office. We don't have the same roles to fulfill. So others can't be like you. I'm very thankful for this. I love to teach the Word of God, and, and I'm in a congregation where, as you're going to hear as time goes on, we have several men down here that are capable teachers. Uh, and, and I'm glad that, that they're capable teachers. I'm thankful. I, 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 I'm happy looking forward to uh, the future of the congregation here. I long for the day where people like, hey, if you're listening right now, long for the day where people like you who maybe if you're, if you're not in Christ and you want to be in Christ, I'm looking forward to the day where it gets back to where I'm teaching more and more people every day. There's kind of a a drought right now going on of people interested in the gospel. But I'm looking forward to the day where I'm so busy. I would love it that if I got so busy, I had to depend on some of my brethren here to take over some of the roles of teaching in the congregation so that I could be teaching lost souls. I'm thankful we got capable men. But I'm also thankful that, that they don't have the same desire that I do to teach because then there'd be conflict all the time. We have men that, you know, every once in a while, they'll, they'll come to me and say, hey, I'd, I'd like to teach a lesson, preach a, preach a sermon or whatever. And of course, the men here are welcome to do that when they want to do so. And I'm thankful for that. But we don't have that same desire. I, I, I long to teach. I love it. It's like oxygen for me. I love to preach. I love it. It's like breathing uh, for me. But we're different. And though, though we have roles uh, those things are, are somewhat different and, and thankful for that. And we have others in the congregation that do things that I'm not capable of. Boy, I'll tell you what, I am not a capable person at leading a song. And, and we have several men in the congregation that are very capable song and leading songs in our worship and, 
and, and organizing our minds and, and our ways. I'm very thankful for that. Each member has different roles. We have some people that, that tend to be uh, more social than others. I'm not a very social person. I'm, I'm not the kind of guy that just can sit around for six or seven hours and talk to anybody about anything. Generally, my conversations surround the gospel. That's what I live, breathe, and eat uh, is the gospel. So I'm very thankful that when we have members that just need to spend, quote unquote, social time uh, with somebody, that we have plenty of brothers and sisters that they can call where I really don't fill that role as well as others fill that role. And I'm glad they don't look at me and say, well, why don't you do this or this more often. I'm glad that they can appreciate that my wheelhouse is different than theirs. Very thankful for that. I'm glad we're not all the same person, that God didn't just have a cookie cutter uh, and, and, and produce the same type of person. There are different roles in local church, and our different roles, like the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, are what brings about the greater unity, that we work better together because we're not all exactly doing the same things at the same time and basically stepping on one another. I want to give you another thought along this process where we can't think that others should be just like us. Within the realm of authorized liberties, some people are going to make different choices than others. You know, for example, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says in verses 6 to 8, I speak this by permission and not of commandment. For I would that all men were even as myself. Every man hath this proper gift of God, one after this man or another after that. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they were to abide even as I. If you go on in this context, he's giving this counsel to the Corinthians because of the persecution that they are facing in that generation. Well, Paul was a man that chose not to marry. It's not that he didn't have the authority. Two chapters later in 1 Corinthians 9, 5, he says, Have we not power, meaning authority, to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as the other apostles of the brethren of the Lord and of Cephas? Yeah, he has authority to get married, but he chose not to do it. Because he chose not to do it, that put him in a different position than others. In 1 Corinthians 7, 31 through 34, he says, they that use this world is not abusing it for the fashion of this world passed away, but I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried care for the things that belong to the Lord, how he might please the Lord. But he that's married care for the things of the world, how he might please his wife. There's a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman care for the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and spirit, but she that is married care for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. So those that take the authorized liberty to get married, well, they're going to care for the things of the home. They're going to be more busy and the physical than in the spiritual. Paul was able to devote all of his time to the work of the Lord and being an apostle and being an evangelist, a preacher of the gospel. Uh, he didn't have a wife. He didn't have children. Think about it. Children are a big distraction. Having children is a lot of work. You know, when we look at the role of parenting, Proverbs 4 and verse 1 says, Here, you children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. So a man gets married. He has to love his wife, spend time with her, cultivate and continue that relationship. He cares for the things of the world, how he might please his wife. The wife cares for the things of the world, how she might please her husband. But then the father also has the instruction of training up his children, 
uh, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6, 4, of teaching them as we just read. The parents, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way she'll go, he shall go, and when he's old, not depart from it. Parents have the role of, of training up their children, so mom and dad are busy and, and the physical and spiritual upbringing of the child, what's that distract them from? It distracts them from their own spiritual growth. It distracts them from work within the local congregation. It makes them busy and things physical and spiritual within the framework of the home. And the more children that there are, the more of a distraction that it is. And Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bring his mother to shame. A single man or a woman can just come and go as they please. A married man or a woman has a whole lot more responsibility. And when you add children to that, not to leave those children alone, but to look after them, to keep them in check, so forth and so on. To have the, the mental thought of what's going on in the home. Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So fathers are thinking about how to, to bring up their children, how to work with them, how to educate them, but not discourage them, not to do things in an overbearing manner. Now, all of that is authorized. All of it is right and acceptable to God, but they are lawful distractions. So here I am. I have... Uh, my children are grown. Uh, they're adults. Uh, Trey, that you're going to hear from on Thursday, is my youngest, and he's 23 years old. I do have the challenge of my mentally retarded daughter that lives with us and will be with us uh, as long as we are physically capable of taking care of her. And of course, that is a distraction, but it's nowhere near the distraction it was when my children were younger, when I would do all kinds of things with them. We used to go take them places. Take I used to take them to the park, play basketball, football, all the things that a father should do with his children, especially with me and my boys. I wanted to bring them up and teach them physical things and so forth, so on, a lot of education. My wife homeschooled every day, three children. She was very busy with that in the younger years. Um, but now we get to focus on our spiritual growth even more. And I, and I love that because we got the opportunity to be parents. We got the opportunity to raise up our children. But I also understand the distractions that come with that. Now, I'm not teaching you not to have children. Can you, you know, could you imagine? Um, and I, I will say, you know what? I'll just leave the subject alone. There are challenges to bringing children into this current world. I'll say that. And to some degree... I have different thoughts about it. But if I were to say, hey, don't have children, like Paul gave the advice not to get married, which would then mean not to have children, right? What would happen with elders? I mean, elders have to have a plurality of children to be qualified elders. Paul told Titus, for this cause, Titus 1, 5, and 6, for this cause left I in thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I appointed thee. Then he be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, having a, a plurality of faithful children. If we're to start saying, don't get married, don't have kids because they're a distraction, we're going to say, let's do away with the possibility of future elders. We don't want to do that. So there are people that are going to use authorized liberties. They're going to make different decisions, and they're not going to be able to be just like you. The family with one child is going to be very different than the family with two and three and four and so forth, so on. 
The husband and wife who have no children, going to be different. The man or woman who's not married at all, very different. Uh, there are other areas of authorized liberties where we make different choices. Romans 14, 5 and 6 says, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord doth he not regard it. He that eateth, eateth the Lord, for he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not, the Lord eateth not, and giveth God thanks. So, hey, we have these authorized liberties. You can hold one day to be greater than another. So uh, my birthday just passed, uh, and I don't make a big deal out of my birthday, especially as I get older and older. It's just a reminder as to why there are new aches and pains as you get older and older. I don't make a big deal out of it. I, I worked uh, until about 10 after 4 on my birthday on, on my work as an evangelist, and then uh, we had uh, dinner, and I had some cookie cake that my wife made me. I, I asked her not to give me any gifts. I asked her not to spend three or four or five or six dollars on a card or anything of that nature. Uh, I, you know, she does what I ask. I don't want to spend money on that. It's, it's nothing special. Trey got me a gift. Uh, very appreciative of that, but I generally tell him the same thing. Don't waste your money. Um, I'm just getting older. I don't particularly find that a reason to celebrate. However, when my children have birthdays or my wife, I like to celebrate their birthdays. And my wife has not yet told me, don't get me an ice cream cake because that tends to be our, our tradition on her birthday. She loved Dairy Queen ice cream cake. So we esteem that day uh, better than another day. We do a little bit of different things, which adds some things to that day. My birthday, I worked and then you know what? I, our vehicles recently got some damage due to roofing work next door to us. Uh, so I, I spent uh, three hours that evening on my birthday outside with a clay bar trying to take stuff off of vehicles. And I, to me, that's a happy birthday. Why? Because I, I did things I needed to do. I, I don't look at that day as some others might. But then I don't look at other people and say, you need to be like me. And I hope other people don't look at me and say, hey, you, you ought to be more like this. Uh, I know there are people out there that might say, well, that's depressing. Why don't you celebrate the day? What? what, what? Because you think of, of certain days a certain way, it, it makes it depressing that I don't? Let me tell you what. I enjoyed my cookie cake. I hadn't eaten sweets in a long time. It was very nice. It was very good. It was something special. I allowed... Uh, for my wife to do for me. I'm very, very, very thankful for it. I enjoyed it. But you know, the way I spent the, the majority of that day studying the Word of God, doing the work of the Lord, talking to my brother Keith up there in Maryland um, and, and, and one local brethren here doing different things I needed to do in the kingdom, that's how I want to celebrate that day uh, because that's what I enjoy to do. It's not a burden to me. The work of an evangelist is is what I enjoy. I love it. So it's very, very happy in doing so, but not everybody thinks that way. And you know what? Like I, like I said earlier, I'm glad they don't. Because if we were all evangelists, where would my work be? I'm glad people don't look at it the same way. Listen, whatever we're talking about, it is wrong for any one of us to measure other people by making ourselves the standard. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 
says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number, or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Don't dare do it. Don't measure other people by you. Whether or not you think something is awesome or amazing or great doesn't matter. It's who the Lord commends that matters. Later in that context, 2 Corinthians 10, 18, For not he that commended himself was approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. What matters is who God sees greatness in. And you know what? He sees greatness in the lesser talented person who just does what they're capable of doing as much as the greater talented person who just does what they're capable of doing. And when that happens, the local church succeeds in its work, in her work, in our work together. But the person that just can't help it and looks at other people and says, well, I can do it. Why can't you? It's like they... They like to swim in their own glory. Proverbs 25, 27, it's not good to eat much honey. So for men to search their own glory is not glory. Hey, is Lord exalting you or are you? If, if, if the Lord's exalting you, you'll see that in the judgment day. If you're exalting you, you're going to look at people just like we're talking about in this lesson. You'd be saying, I don't know why he can't do that or why she can't do that. You're going to use a worldly standard to decide what's good and what's great. You know, in Luke 16, 15, he said to them, Year they would justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Let's think about some applications of that. How about people in education? We, we, I've known people, Christians, and, and, and to no surprise at all, they ended up falling away from the faith that held secular education to be chief in life. In fact, not serving the Lord, but rather getting an education is what they press for their children to a degree in which this people actually tried that with my children, which was highly offensive and I had to say something very pointed and forceful about it where they, they focus on your education. Get, get your education. Look, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a rocket scientist. If the Lord Jesus Christ comes and judgment commences today, your worldly education is zero importance. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 and 19. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world... Let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. So you got people that will say, education. What, what degree do you have? How about when the Lord comes, are you going to hear, enter thou in thy good and faithful servant? That's what matters. Not what degree do you have? What about physical appearance? Well, you know, I, I, I preached a lesson a few years ago. I, I don't remember exactly how many years ago it was, but I have an audio section on my website, and uh, you could look to and find it there. You can search the website, too. 
but we're talking about bodily exercise and, and, and physical things. You know, the Bible says that bodily exercise profiteth little, 1 Timothy 4 and verse 8. Well, there are people that live their lives around physical appearance. Hmm. So there are people that will talk about who's attractive and who's not attractive. Well, to who? And by what standard? By the world standard? You know what Proverbs 31.30 says? Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Hmm. By whose standard are you measuring attractiveness? Whether somebody has that quote-unquote beach body? Should, should you even know if a Christian has a quote-unquote beach body? What's it tell you if you know that? Either they're bragging about their physical appearance or they're showing way too much that they shouldn't be. And that's not just by shorty shorts and cut-off shirts and other things. There are people that wear clothing that is just super tight showing off that quote-unquote beach body. Well, because the world says that's attractive? Just think about that. Just think about that. We, we talked about the onset of our lesson, judge not according to appearance. Who's healthy and who's not? We have people in our lives that if you'll look at them and you'll ask them about their doctor visits and their blood work, you'll find surprising things. Sometimes there's people, you know, the, the, there's a medical standard of a body mass index, a BMI, about what is overweight and what is not. Uh, I have high blood pressure and, and high cholesterol, and I've had it for years. I had it when I was six foot, 185 pounds, and I was out running 10 and 12 mile runs every day. Had high blood pressure and cholesterol. And no matter what I did, doctor says it's genetic. Well, I still work out on a daily basis. I'm not 185 pounds anymore, and I'm not running anymore after multiple injuries. Wish I would have never. Uh, but at that time, and, and possibly even now, people would think you're very healthy. Look at what you can do, how much time you work out every day. By whose standard? By what standard? What's it matter? Look at professional athletes. As I'm, I'm sitting here recording this podcast, LeBron James, 18-year-old son, who is an athlete, was uh, earlier this week uh, out at USC, 18 years old, been an athlete for years, at the height of physical fitness, had a cardiac arrest. By whose standard is he healthy? Do healthy people have heart attacks? What's attractive? What looks good? What feels good? Hmm. Folks, the world is not the standard of that, and neither are you. You might look at somebody and say, well, I'm able to eat this, this, and this, and maintain this weight, blah, 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 blah. So what? How do you even know what's healthy for you? Because the medical field says so? You mean the medical field that says coffee is bad? No, coffee is good. Coffee is bad. No, coffee is good. You, you hang around for a while and you notice what the dietary recommendations are. They change frequently. What about people that look at success? 
This person's successful. Look at what they own, their possessions and different things. Proverbs 13, 7, there is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is he that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. By whose standard are you measuring success? Because on social media, they post pictures of their vacation. That does not mean that they're successful. And by the way, even by the world standards, sometimes that just means they're greatly in debt. Don't judge according to appearance. Well, the person says, well, if people were to make decisions the way that I make, they'd have as much money in the bank as I have, and they'd be able to do this, this, and this, and this. There you are making yourself the standard. Are you learning anything? What about somebody who says, you know what? So-and-so is not very manly looking. Look at this person. They, they can't do what I can do. Uh, live in the north maybe and, and, and I don't have to worry about this anymore. I had a long time where I spent 30 years worrying about shoveling snow. I'm glad I don't worry about that anymore out here in El Paso, Texas. We might have to sweep away some dirt, but we're not shoveling snow on any regular basis. Well, what about the person who lives in the north and they, ah, you know what? I'm out shoveling snow for four hours. Look at you, fatso. You can't shovel snow for 20 minutes till you're out of breath. So what? What are you saying about Jesus? Prophecy about Jesus, Isaiah 53, 2 and 3, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. When you shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our face for him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Our Lord was not, you know, given generous physical features in which people would desire to look upon him in that carnal way. Now, are you going to tell me that there's some strong man that is stronger than Jesus who hung upon the cross for the sins of all mankind, past, present, and future, that we could be saved? Tell you what, he's the epitome of manliness. We certainly didn't look it. Certainly didn't look it the way that people would call attractive men, right? Whatever way no form or comeliness ought to be taken, they didn't look upon him and think of him in an attractive way. Folks, maybe you're capable, maybe your skill set is more than somebody else a certain way. Maybe you're a woman and you just don't understand why this woman can't burn, can't stop burning whatever it is that she's making. Maybe cooking is just not in her skill set. Maybe she just makes a boss PB&J sandwich because that's the best she can do. Just because you can do it doesn't mean somebody else needs to be able to do it. Doesn't mean that everyone else should be able to do it. Whatever it is. Okay? Step back. Stop thinking that everybody needs to be just like you. Focus on yourself. And if someone else is lacking in some way and you can help them, just help them. Don't make them feel useless or lesser than you because you can help them either. Be thankful that you're given the opportunity to be a servant. In conclusion, I want you to consider what matters most. In Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, 
which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Now, you want a glory? Glory in your faithful relationship with the Lord. But if you're sitting back and you're condemning other people because they're not like you, you don't have a relationship with the Lord. You're a transgressor. And I beg you to change that. And if that's a problem in your life, there are likely other issues as well, like the root of it, which is generally pride. It's time to bring yourself down, no matter how talented you are, to look on others better than yourself, like we talked about in Philippians 2, 3. Hope this lesson has been thought-provoking for you, not in how you look at others, but how you look at yourself. And that you examine yourself and grow from it and be stronger in it. If you need to make corrections, that you'll make those corrections. If you're not a child of God, if you're not a faithful Christian, this is just one of many things you need to do to look, look toward salvation. And we didn't cover those things in this podcast. And we generally don't cover all those things in a podcast. Because when we're talking about what a person needs to do to be saved, we need to take a look at the scriptures from where you are in your life. So for that, I hope you will give me a phone call. My air, phone number is the area codes 915-525-5794. I hope you call me up and let me help you or visit my website at wordsoftruth.net. You can contact me from there via email as well, which is brian, B-R-I-A-N, at wordsoftruth.net. But I'd love to talk to you. Love to work through some things with you, answer questions. Maybe this lesson has brought about questions. Maybe you have other questions that haven't been covered in a podcast, maybe you're just waiting for something to be covered. Hey, listen, don't you don't have to wait. I'd love to have a Bible study with you and talk to you about whatever it is that is on your mind from a scriptural point of view. I'm thankful that you listen. I hope you'll come back Tuesday and Thursday and hear uh, the next two podcasts. If all goes according to plan and our Lord does not return first, you'll be able to hear them then. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.